Hey folks, welcome to the Sermons Podcast of Christ Church at Grove Farm. Whether it's your first time or you've been here since the beginning, we are thrilled to be a part of your spiritual walk and look forward to all that Christ is doing in your life. If you are looking for more information about Christ Church or you would like to connect with one of our pastors or ministry leaders, you can reach us on our website, ccgf.org. You can also connect with us on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Here is this week's message. Grace and peace to you. I think one of the reasons we're so fired up this morning is because last year on Easter, we didn't gather together in person. We were worshiping online. Aren't you grateful that we could be gathered together today? What a grace from God. What a grace from God. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for this grace that we can gather together in this place and worship you and sing about the empty tomb, the resurrection of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for this time together, for all the people who are worshiping in person here this morning, for those who are joining us worshiping online. We give you thanks. And Lord, as we consider your word, as we consider the truth of the scriptures, I pray that you would just open our eyes to see this risen Jesus, perhaps in a way we've never seen him before. We ask this in his powerful name. Amen. So how's your memory? You have good memory? Let's put it to the test, okay? Uh, what color was the car that you parked next to this morning in the parking lot? <laughs> you don't know. Okay, what's your boss's kids' names? Again, you don't know. How about this one, men? Uh, what is the, the, the date of your wife's birthday? Oh, I just got someone in trouble on Easter, man, yeah. We forget these things, don't we? If you're wondering, why is my memory so bad? Look, you're not alone. There's actually some, some research that's been done with this, and they found that there's a list of the most common uh, things that people forget, okay? Uh, one, of the, one of the things, of course, is where you put your, your phone, your wallet, your keys. Anyone else struggle with that? Maybe this morning even? That's something, or I think a lot of guys can relate to this one, what you're supposed to pick up at the grocery store. That's, that's commonly forgotten. Here's one that I just love. Uh, why I walked into the room. <laughs> Some of you were feeling that way this morning. <laughs> you're like, why am I here? What am I doing in this place? All these people are crazy excited. Yeah, you know, why do I walk in this room? Have you ever happened that to you? That's a crazy one. And then there's this one, People forget to pay bills. This is your reminder. If you've forgotten to pay bills this month, maybe you should take care of that when you get home so you don't get in trouble with with people turning off your electricity. So yeah, I mean, there's lots of things we forget. In fact, the research shows that that 56% of what you will hear this hour will be forgotten by the next hour. Isn't that crazy? 66% of what you heard today will be forgotten tomorrow. This is really depressing for a preacher. I've worked hard on this sermon and you're gonna walk out and forget everything I've said. Or at least 66% of it evidently. 75% of what you hear today, you'll forget in a week. Seems like we have a memory problem, don't we? I mean, the human memory, we are prone to, to forget. It seems like the, the, our, our memories dwindle. It seems like suddenly and sometimes gradually, we just forget. It's what happens to us. And perhaps that's why the author of the, the, the letter that we're going to read from the New Testament this morning says what he says. We're, we're in 
the uh, letter to the Corinthians, the first letter to the Corinthians. First Corinthians, the 15th chapter. Gideon's read a little bit of this for you already. I'm going to go ahead and read, read some more. So if you have your Bible with you, you can open it up. If you don't have your Bible, there's, a, there's words on the screen that you can follow along with. I encourage you to track with us either way. The Apostle Paul is the undisputed author of this letter. And it's, it's dated around 52 AD. So this is approximately 20 years after Jesus had, had been raised from the dead. And Paul, knowing that people tend to forget, here's what he says. He says, now brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise you've believed in vain. He says, I want to remind you. Paul knew. Paul knew people misplaced their keys. Paul knew people forget why they walked in the room. And so Paul says, hey, I want to remind you. Even though this was a big moment, I want to, I want to again refresh your memory. There's something called flashbulb memories. Flashbulb memories. You've heard of this? So like 9-11 is a flashbulb memory. For some of you, when, when JFK was assassinated, that's a flashbulb memory. Does this make sense? Or, or how about the day that the space shuttle Challenger disaster happened? I remember that well. I was in seventh grade. That's a flashbulb memory. For, for some people, Jesus would be a flashbulb memory. For instance, if you lived at the time of Christ when he died and when he rose from the dead, I mean, wouldn't you think that would be a flashbulb memory? The kind of memory where you remember where you were, what you were doing, who you were with. It had to be that kind of memory for people who heard that news. It had to be a flashbulb memory for some of you. Maybe you can remember the first time you really heard the gospel. You know what I mean by really heard the gospel? Like maybe you had heard that Jesus had, had, had died on a cross Maybe you had even heard that Jesus was, was risen from the dead, but one day someone shared it in a Sunday school class, at some youth retreat, at a big event or in a church service, and you heard the gospel in a different way and it lit up your life. That's a flashball moment. Do you remember that moment? I remember that moment. Maybe you've had that experience. But here's what the researchers tell us. Even flashball mem moments, memories, those memories tend to change over time too. I mean, you don't forget. You don't forget that 9-11 happened. But the details can become a little fuzzy. And so here's what Paul does. He says, knowing that people tend to forget, knowing that, that people needed to be reminded of things we know because their memories are unreliable, he says, I want to remind you. And so today, this, this reminder on this Resurrection Sunday is for all of us. This isn't only for people who don't know about Jesus or wouldn't consider themselves to be people of faith. This is for people of faith because we tend to forget. So Paul says, I want to remind you. Let's go back to the text. Here's what Paul says next in verse 3 of 1 Corinthians 15. He says, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day 
according to the scriptures. If I were to ask you, if I were to say, hey, could you, could you tell me the gospel? Like if I called on one of you right now, some people are getting really nervous. If I called on you and I said, hey, would you stand up and just tell us the gospel? You, sir, back there. Do you think you could do that? Could you get up and say, yeah, here's the gospel. I could, I could present it to you. Well, if you can't, if you're like, oh, I'm not sure I could, I could do that. Well, let me tell you, good news, it's summed up for you right here in verses three and four. Do you see what Paul says? He says, he sums it up for us. He says uh, that, that, on, uh, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day. That, my friends, is the, is the centrality. That is the, the basis of the gospel. There's more to it than that. There's more we could say about the gospel. But if you want just the bare skeleton, the bare bones gospel, there it is. Jesus died he was buried, and he rose again. That's the gospel. And here's what Paul says about it. He says it's of first importance. I want you to hear that. This gospel is of first importance. That means it's the most important thing. It is the central truth of all human life. It is the big deal. It's the one thing you've got to know. This gospel that Jesus died on the cross, that he went into the grave and that he rose again, that is of first importance. It's the central truth. Now again, there's a lot more we could say about the gospel. In fact, the, I'm holding a Bible. All of the Bible is gospel, from Genesis to Revelation. But, you know, there's certain things we hold on to, the virgin birth, the sinless life of Jesus, the, the miraculous acts that he performed. His ascension into heaven, the giving of the Holy Spirit, what good news that is. The promise of Christ's return someday again. All these things are gospel, they're all good news. But let me tell you, it all hinges. It all hinges on these two things that Paul says are of first importance. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and he was raised up on the third day according to scriptures. That is the essence of the gospel. And I want to point something out about this gospel to you. Because we can't glaze over this. We can't read too quickly past this. He says that Christ died for our sins. Christ died for our sins. Let's not glaze over that. Here's the thing. I believe today that there's, there's one thing at least that we all can agree on, maybe a couple things, but I think there's at least one thing we can agree on. A lot of things we disagree on. You know, maybe you, maybe you like vanilla ice cream more than chocolate. Are you crazy, by the way? There's only, chocolate is way better. I mean, come on. Or maybe you're, you know, it's red, blue. We could go back and forth, and we could debate all sorts of things. We would disagree on much. But here's something that we could all agree upon, and that's this, I believe. We're all sinners. Every person in this room has this common problem. And whether you like to admit it or not, deep down in your heart you know it's true. That we all come into this place broken today. I think it's a thing we all could agree on. We could all say if we really wanna be humble, if we really wanna be real and honest, we could say, you know, yeah, I'm I'm a sinner. I'm broken and so we come into this place today in pain. There's some of you who are in great pain today. 
though we're singing these joyful songs and we're exuberant, the, the fact of the matter is there are many people, both in this room and online, who are experiencing a great deal of pain and anguish. I mean, some come into this place today fearful. You're afraid about what the future holds. You're afraid about what your, your health, how things are going to turn out. There are troubled marriages in this audience. Some that are just hanging by a, a, a string, by a thread, because of the brokenness that you carry into this place this morning. There are people who are preoccupied with status. There, there are addictions in this room. There, there are addictions to substances. There, there are addictions to affirmation, people-pleasing. There are addictions to food. We can go on and on and on. There's anger. Listen, I'm not just laying it on thick here. The reality is this is the one thing we all, I believe, can agree on, is that there's sin that's present. We all have this in common. We can't hide from it. And even if you don't want to hear it, the truth is we got to acknowledge the reality that we're all sinners. Listen, you're not alone. You're not alone. It's one thing I think we can all agree upon. But here's the gospel. Here's the good news. That Christ died for our sins. And that he was buried. And that he was raised on the third day. This, my friends, is of first, underline it, first importance. This is the central truth of all human life. It starts here. That Jesus Christ died for sins. He's buried and then he rose again. And there's something else I want to point out before we leave this part of the section. Maybe we can put the, the, the words back on the screen, the verses. Because it says this, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. I want to tell you about this gospel. He, he died for our sins according to the scriptures. And that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Paul tells us about the gospel. Can I tell you about the gospel? You see, this isn't just something that, that I made up or the Apostle Paul made up. No, this is according to the Scriptures. The first thing I want to tell you about the Gospel, beyond the essence of it, is this. Is that the Gospel is, is um, pardon me, the Gospel is biblical truth. The Gospel is biblical truth. In other words, it is something that not just the Apostle Paul verifies. Not just Peter, not just any list of, of authors, but, but, but that the whole entirety of the scriptures points to this gospel, this good news about Jesus dying for our sins and being raised to life. The Old Testament, the prophets. I mean, let's go to the book of Isaiah. If we go to the book of Isaiah, look at Isaiah 53, verses 10 and 11. Hear these verses, I'm reading to you from the Old Testament, hundreds of years before Jesus showed up on the scene as a human being in the flesh. Listen to what the scriptures say. This is, blows your mind. We're talking about the gospel is biblical truth. Listen to this. Yet, it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. I, Isaiah wouldn't have known what was going to happen. These events are hundreds of years later. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin... He will see his offspring and prolong his days. Well, how can that be? How could someone who, whose, whose life is an offering for sin 
see his offspring and have prolonged days. And the will of the Lord will, will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. Do you see this? It's incredible. The Old Testament, the prophets speak to Jesus. If we went to the book of Leviticus 16, you'll hear about the Day of Atonement. It reeks of Jesus and his death on the cross. We could go to Psalm 16. We can go to Psalm 22. The Old Testament speaks to the reality, the truth of Jesus. This gospel is biblical truth. And then in the New Testament, the apostles all testify to the risen Jesus. Listen, the Bible, and I love this about the Bible. The Bible is 66 books. It's a little library. 66 books written over the course of 1,600 years. Huge span of time. 40 different authors. I mean, think about this. One, one book bound together, little library, 66 books, 1,600 years, 40 different authors, and guess what? It tells one story. The gospel is biblical truth. This stuff happened according to the scriptures. This stuff being Jesus dying on the cross, Jesus being raised to the dead, from the dead three days later. Okay, so the first thing I want to point out to you is this about the gospel. The gospel is biblical truth. Here's the second one I will point out. The Bible is historical truth. Check out what the verses say when we go back to 1 Corinthians 15. Pick it up in verse 5. Then he, that would be Jesus, appeared to Cephas. This is after he was resurrected. Jesus appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared, Paul says, to me also, as to one abnormally born. Okay, so here we have the the, the historical part. You know, the gospel is historical truth. The first thing I would tell you is this. You can pinpoint it on the calendar. It was on the third day. Like, there's there's a timeline here. And when we talk about the historical truth of the gospel, it's one of the things we could say it happened on the third day. Not only that, there's creedal evidence. I mean, this morning, we together as a part of our worship got up and we spoke. We confessed the Nicene Creed. Did you know that the Nicene Creed was written in the year 325? Over 1,500 years ago. And when this creed was written, when it was put together, it wasn't just one guy in a room. It wasn't three guys in a room. It wasn't 10 or 12 guys in a room. Over 250 people were assembled to create this creed and attest to the truths you read. And two of the truths you read are this. One of them, and I have the quote here, for our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. Another of the truths was this, on the third day he rose again. This stuff is 1,600 years old. I mean, consider it. The Bible, the gospel is historical truth. Historical events historical truths. Don't miss this. But then there's this. You want more evidence? The resurrection was a physical event that was witnessed by, and you got the list here, Cephas, that's Peter. And then we see, who else? Uh, The 12, that's the, the disciples. 
the women who are mentioned in this list from Luke 24. They witnessed his resurrection. Over 500 people, and I love this, Paul says to the audience of the Corinthians who have been living at that time, he says most of those people are still living. In other words, you don't believe me? Go ask them for yourselves. Go ask one of those 500 people who were present when the risen Jesus, the guy we all know died, the guy that we know all got put in the grave, when we saw him alive again. Over 500 people. He said, go ask him for yourself. And then Paul, perhaps, is the most profound or greatest witness. Paul was an unbeliever. He was Saul. He hated Christians. He stood by as Stephen was killed for his faith, killed for believing in Jesus. He approved of it. The first martyr of the church. But Paul, who was Saul, who didn't believe in Jesus, encountered the risen Jesus on the road to Damascus, and his life was changed radically. And here's to me the greatest evidence of Paul being an eyewitness to the risen Jesus. Paul didn't get perks out of this. He didn't get rich on it. He didn't get a comfy life. He actually got just the opposite. He was persecuted. He was beaten. He was imprisoned. He was ultimately someone who perished persecuted for, for believing in Jesus, and he died for believing in Jesus. Why would a person do that? I mean, Paul had it pretty good. He was a religious leader. He had the fancy clothes, and he had all that kind of, why would he follow Jesus? I'll tell you why, because he saw a dead man come back to life. And when you see a dead man come back to life, that changes everything, and you'll sell everything, and you'll do whatever it takes to follow that person. You see, the gospel is historical truth. Are you with me, my friends? The gospel is biblical truth. The gospel is historical truth. But there's one more. Let's go back to the text. 1 Corinthians 15. Gideon again came up here and he read part of this already, so I'm not going to read the entire section. But here's what Paul says. He says, but if it is preached, I'm picking up in verse 12. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead... How could some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? This was a question in those times. Maybe some of you have that question. How could there be resurrection? And what he does here, and I'm not going to read this whole section, Paul lays out an argument from reason, what we would call in the Greek logos, a logical argument with seven if-then statements. You can count them. There are seven if-then statements. So those of you who would say, well, you know, this is too emotional. All these people, they're all fired up. Yeah, we're, we're fired up. I'm not into that. I need more. I need proof. I need reason. Well, here you go. Paul lays out a logical argument. This is, this is proving us that the gospel is theological truth. And these seven if-then statements, here's what they essentially say. They essentially say that we hold the death and resurrection of Jesus together. We can't separate them. This gospel is theological truth, and and we hold the death and resurrection of Jesus together. If Jesus isn't resurrected from the dead, then faith becomes futile. In other words, we're not forgiven. We're not saved. And, And it also means that those who have died have perished. Is that a comforting thought to you? Someone that you love, someone that you care for. If there's, if Jesus isn't raised from the dead, if he didn't pay for sins, then no one is raised, no one's resurrected. That, that's, a, that's a disconcerting thought. And if, and if Jesus isn't raised from the dead, then there's no hope 
for us in this life or the life to come. Paul says, listen, the death and the resurrection go together. And here's the great news. Jesus died for our sins rather than you and I dying for our sins as we deserve. Essentially, we did the sinning and he did the dying. This is called the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ. He took our place. He bore our sin. He paid our debt. He died our death. The substitutionary death of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you what this this reminds me of. My wife and I have um, a family who we're friends with, and uh, this couple is remarkable. Woman's name is Stacy, and Stacy is a wonderful mom. She and her husband have two children, daughter, and a son. And when their son was born, of course, you know, you get all the pictures taken, you have all the celebrations, you know, the shower and all the good gifts. And as their son, Dalton, began to, to grow older, hit around the age of five, they recognized that something wasn't right. Something was off. And so through a series of tests, they learned about 10 years ago that, that Dalton has what's known as Duchenne muscular dystrophy. Now, if you're familiar with Duchesne's, you know it's like a death sentence. You know that the life expectancy of that little boy isn't great. In fact, it's not just he's going to wake up and die one day, that he's going to be in the process of dying. His muscles are going to fail him. And that he's going to suffer as a boy, now becoming a young man. And this, of course, changed everything from this little family. Stacy, in particular, you know, has given up her dreams. She's given up friendships. She's given up aspirations. Stacy has given up sleep. Dalton has to wake up in the middle of the night to be cared for every night. Doesn't sleep longer than three hours. She wakes up, she's lost sleep for years. She's, she's gone on a crusade to, to raise funds for Duchesne. Stacy has given her life. She's giving her life because she loves Dalton. She's given herself. It's a pretty incredible thing. When I think about Stacy and I think about that family and I think about Dalton, it's incredibly moving and convicting. Here's the incredible thing, though. Jesus, as incredible as Stacy's sacrifice is, in giving her life for her son, God has done something even far greater and that he has provided his son to die to take care of our disease, sin. This is the great theology of the gospel, the substitutionary death of Jesus. It's an incredible truth. And why would he do that? Because of his great and incomparable love for sinners. He lays it on the line. I'm so thankful for Stacy for that example that she's given us. I pray for her and Dalton and David and their family. Bless them. But she's given us this example of what it looks like for a person to lay it down. And so we have this example that, that Jesus, the death and the resurrection together, the resurrection, you know, because Jesus died on the cross, we could be forgiven. But because Jesus rose from the dead, we know we're forgiven. 
He died to achieve what we could never achieve on our own. And so listen, of first importance, of first importance, Jesus Christ died for our sins and rose again on the third day to set us free. What incredible truth. So there's a lot of talk these days about cancel culture. You know, it's interesting. We so quickly forget. Cancel culture is nothing new. I mean, go back to the New Testament. The the culture attempted to cancel Jesus. I mean, think about it. It wasn't just Pontius Pilate. Yeah, I mean, Pilate ultimately ordered Jesus' death, but the culture of the day, the people, they wanted rid of Jesus. They wanted to erase Jesus. They wanted to cancel him. And so what did they do? He was arrested. They set up a sham of a trial. And they, and they called him guilty. And from there, well, they went about canceling him. Or at least they thought they could cancel him. Jesus was beaten. He was whipped. He was punched in the face. He was spat upon. He was stripped of his clothing, naked, in front of the watching public. He was called names. They placed a crown of thorns and dug it into his flesh. And after he carried a heavy cross for a great distance, they nailed him with spikes into his wrist, into his feet. This culture was bent on canceling Jesus, so much so that they asked for a murderer back in their community because they wanted to cancel Jesus. Cancel culture is nothing new. Don't forget about that. I'll tell you what, though. They put Jesus in the grave. They rolled a stone over the tomb. They thought they could cancel Jesus. But listen, my friends, on the third day, Jesus Christ got up out of that tomb. He got up and he is alive and he is risen. You can cancel Dr. Seuss. You can cancel Mr. Potato Head. You cannot cancel Jesus. He is uncancelable. Do you hear me? This is something to get excited about. He's uncancelable. You cannot cancel Jesus. But let me tell you what Jesus did. It's incredible. Jesus did some canceling of his own. Listen to another letter that Paul wrote, just a a couple of verses. Colossians 2. Listen to this. Jesus got up. He's resurrected. You can't cancel him. But here's what he did. Colossians 2. When you were dead in your sins... And in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. When you were dead, God made you alive, he says. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness. We owed him. We owed God because of our sin, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. You catch that? Jesus brought in some cancel culture, my friends. And you and I are benefactors of what he has canceled. He's canceled our sin. 
You want to cancel something? Jesus canceled sin. That's what I'm talking about. That is cancel culture. The Corinthians got this. You know, we've been reading this letter this morning, 1 Corinthians 15. And this group of believers, Paul wanted to remind them of something. I want to take you back to verses 1 and 2 as we close. He says, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you, I hope you got the reminder this morning, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you believed in vain. Here's what these Corinthian believers did. They received and they believed. They received. Look, the Greek word doesn't mean what you think it means. You think receive and you're like, okay, I'm going to receive it, I'm going to receive it. It falls on my lap. Not that kind of receiving. This kind of receiving, the Greek word, requires some aggression on your part. It it requires some, some motivation on your part. You take hold of something. When the Greek talks about receiving, it's talking about you getting up and grabbing hold of something by God's grace. That's what these Corinthians believers did. They received it and they believed it. And look, there's two kinds of believing. There's human believing when you convince yourself that something's true. We've all done that. No, there's faith believing. And this was faith believing. These Corinthians, they were convinced by God. They didn't convince themselves. God, through his Holy Spirit, convinced them that this gospel was true. They received it and they believed it. You know what else they did? They took their stand. I love it. The Corinthian believers said, we received this truth. We received the truth that that Jesus, the gospel, that Jesus died on the cross, paid for sins, and then he rose again, and we believe it, and we take our stand. That's what they did. I want to tell you something. I believe that Easter Sunday would be the perfect time to make your stand. Talk about a flashbulb moment. You can have your flashbulb moment. Receive the gospel of Jesus. It's a biblical truth. It's a a historical truth. It is a theological truth. Receive the gospel of Jesus. Believe it. Be convinced by the Holy Spirit. Let down your guard and humility and take your stand. Take your stand. Saying, I believe that Jesus died for sinners, of which I'm one. I believe that he died and was raised to life again on the third day, according to scriptures. I believe, I take my stand on that. It's the best thing you could do on this Easter holiday. Here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna invite Brad to come out here. And Brad's gonna play a song. I love this song he's gonna play. The song is called, Come As You Are. And I love the connotation. In other words, you don't have to dress yourself up. You don't have to try to make up for the things you've done wrong. You don't have to try to cover up your brokenness. You come as you are to God. God receives you. But you got to do it now. This is the time. Don't wait. And so as Brad leads us in this song, and he's going to sing it over us, come as you are. My hope is that some of you will come as you are. Maybe for the first time. You'll receive the gospel. You'll believe the gospel. And you'll take your stand. 
For others, maybe you've just drifted. You know, you, you've gone away. You can come as you are. Back to the Father and say, God, I, I'm taking my stand again. As you consider the words of this song, I would encourage you. Tell me that you want to do this. I would love to join you in this journey. You do this in a really simple way. You send me a text at 474747. Two words smushed together, my stand. Take your stand. My stand. 474747. I'd love to hear from you. Let Brad minister to you with these words. Consider the gospel. Receive it. Believe it.